All right, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the director of assimilation here. Glad to be with you this morning. We're going to be in 2 Peter this time around. So if you would, turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to the book of 2 Peter as we continue our series through Peter's letters. Um, and uh, to remind you of kind of the, the main theme of, of 1 Peter that we saw, really, the, 1 Peter is encouraging us to stand fast in the face of suffering. And 2 Peter uh, encourages us also to stand fast, but in the face particularly of false teaching. Um, many scholars think that 2 Peter was written pretty close to the time when Peter was facing the end of his life. Um, and as he faces the end of his life, he writes this, this letter to the churches really out of concern that they would hold fast to the gospel that he and the other apostles have been so faithful to deliver to them. And so he's encouraging us and, and the churches that he was writing to at the time to stand fast in the face of all sorts of false teaching, all sorts of maybe little innocuous seemingly ways of, of changing the way the gospel operates in our lives or changing the way we receive it or changing the way we think about ourselves or our relationship to Jesus that really do great harm to our relationship to God and really great harm to our understanding of the gospel and the way we live it out. So Second Peter is really encouraging us to think, think through these things and to hold fast to the uh, gospel the apostles have delivered to us. And so it's a, it's a good message for us, something we need to think uh, long and hard about. Um, well, and just as First Peter encourages believers to hold fast in the face of uh, suffering, so Second Peter encourages us to hold fast in the face of false teaching. And um, the false teachers in, in Peter's day uh, were an interesting bunch. They, they seemed to have suggested in various ways that union with Jesus wasn't really enough to live a complete Christian life. Um, they, they, perhaps they thought that it was okay to start out with. You know, that, that's fine to, to get going on the Christian life, but, but really to become a, a mature Christian, somebody who really gets it and understands it and can live it out decently in the world, you, you need something in addition uh, to that. And so um, they needed some special knowledge maybe or maybe some obscure visions or, or something like that to really become a mature Christian. And it seems that they also denied that Jesus was going to come back again in judgment um, and, and this kind of led them to, to live a really prolific lifestyle. They, they, they really threw away the commandments of God and acted as though Christians didn't need to worry so much about being obedient to Jesus. And, um, and so they really led the church that they were in uh, into immorality by their, their poor example. And so against this, Peter writes to uh, remind believers that he and the other apostles have delivered them a gospel from the Lord Jesus himself. It hasn't been just their innovation or just something that they came up with, sitting one late, one late night on the Sea of Galilee, but, but something that Jesus himself delivered to them and gave them a commission to spread to all the earth. And they've received that because the apostles have been faithful to that charge. And so he writes, he writes to remind us and, and the church at, um, that he was writing to that that's the gospel. That's really the very foundation of their faith, and they need to really hold fast to that truth in the face of other um, so-called teachers who were t telling them that that really didn't matter so much. So the apostles, sure, they, they had some neat things to say, but they weren't the authority on who or what Jesus was about. And what, lest we think that Peter is writing here of a temptation that he didn't know very much about, that is, falling away or um, lapsing into false teaching, um, it's really important to notice that he begins his letter by calling himself Simon Peter. And it seems that in doing so, he's cluing us into something important. And in fact, it recalls um, Peter's uh, falling away from the Lord at the very moment when Jesus was betrayed and on his way to the cross. Simon, Simon, Jesus had, had said to him before that fateful night, Satan has demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And we know that Simon did fail. He did deny the Lord three times. 
And because of God's great mercy and because of his great grace, he did turn back. So how would he strengthen the church? How would he strengthen his brothers and sisters? Well, by doing what Jesus commanded him to do, to love the sheep, to love the flock, and to tell them about God's own son and all that he did for the church and for his people. And, and this confession, uh, remember the, the very confession that Jesus uh, told Peter would earn him the nickname, Peter, that you are the son, the, living, the son of God, the, the, the living Christ. That would be the confession that he would tell the churches about, the very confession of who Jesus was and who he is for us. And so we see that this apostle, therefore, has a message for sinners like us, people who often fail, um, but yet have a, an identity in Jesus that, that makes us able to know that he is faithful to be with us and, and will pull us back and turn us back and, and help us to be faithful in the long, hard road of obedience to him. And Jesus is faithful always to keep his promises. So we see that although we cannot uh, think that the gospel means that we will have an easy life or that it will be um, free from circumstances that cause us sometimes to uh, wonder about God's good promises to us, we see that it is a message for people who um, often need encouragement. Um, we also see that it is a message that uh, assures us that we have complete confidence in, in the, the total life that Jesus has given to us. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that's really the heart of Peter's message to us. It's the heart of the opening address that he gives in this letter. Just to sum it up in a phrase, we could say that in union with Christ, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. Um, as, as we delve into this, hear what J.I. Packer says. He says, the true and full image of God is precisely godliness, communion with God, and creativity under God, in the relational rationality and righteousness that spring from faith and gratitude to one Savior, and the desire to please and honor God and to be a means of helping others. The true goal of life is to know and receive and cooperate with God's grace in Christ, through which our potential for Christ-likeness may be realized. And that's a, that's a helpful way of kind of thinking about what Peter is uh, talking about to us in this letter. He's really hel helping us to know that we have everything that we need for life and godliness, and it's in the gospel itself. We don't need anything in addition to that. So let's see it from the text itself. Second Peter, chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus, our Lord. So as I say, we should pay close attention uh, to the introduction here because it really sets the stage for everything that Peter is going to say, especially in contrast to uh, the false teachers that have been so much troubling the church. You see, the great concern of us, really of all Christians, at all times and places throughout redemptive history is how to have grace and peace, isn't it? And this is just what the false teachers promised the people who were listening to them, that if they followed them, they'd have more grace and more peace. And that's just what we want. And that's what makes their message so, so appealing. So it makes a big difference for us to realize, of course, that Peter's confidence that grace and peace will be our experience doesn't come from something he expects to be added to the gospel. It comes from the very message of the gospel itself. And we see this from the way that he addresses his, his readers. He says, to those who have, who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have a faith of equal standing with the apostles. So as I say, perhaps the false teachers were, were suggesting that because we or the people in those churches were not eyewitnesses to the life and times of Jesus. That is, we, we didn't walk around with him in Galilee as he did his miracles, or we didn't sit by the Sea of Galilee as he, as he taught the people. Um, we weren't there for the Sermon on the Mount, and we didn't personally see him do his miracles. 
Um, so, so we may be tempted to think, and this might be what the false teachers were suggesting, that we've missed out then on, on something really important. Um, you know, all we have really is the gospel as it was delivered by eyewitnesses, the, the, the apostles themselves. And, and perhaps that means that we've missed out on something good that, that we could have if we just tapped into some other resource. But on the contrary, Peter insists that we have a faith of equal standing with theirs, of equal standing with the apostles who, who did walk with Jesus, who did see all of these things, even though we haven't. We have the same faith that they have. And how is that possible? Well, really, because the same spirit that opened their eyes to who Jesus was and the beauty of the gospel is the same spirit that's opened our eyes to who Jesus is and the beauty of the gospel. The same spirit that is working in them to um, overcome disbelief and, and, and rejoice in the good news that Jesus has come to be um, a, an agent of reconciliation between them and, and the Father to overcome their sin is the same spirit that's made that conviction operative in our lives too. And so, because we have the same spirit with the apostles, we have the same faith. We have a faith of equal standing with theirs, even though we haven't seen, with our physical eyes, um, the same things that they saw. And the truth is um, that what Christ, the Christ that they saw uh, and heard is the truth, is, is the Christ that we see and hear in, in their testimony to us, in the scriptures. And the same Christ that cleansed them by the power of his blood is the same Christ that cleanse, uh, cleanses us by the power of his blood. And we have sufficient and complete assurance of, God, of God's love for us because of this. And this cuts against, right against the grain of false teaching, both in, in Peter's day and in ours. Uh, false teaching insists that the apostolic gospel, the, the gospel that we, we received from the apostles, is, is really not enough. And some false teachers might grant, of course, that it's okay to start out with, that, that you can get going on the Christian life, maybe start your engine on the Christian life with the gospel, but, but to really speed up, you need something else, some new vision, some new revelation, some new experience, um, some new program for justice, some new ideas, some new, um, some new doctrine. And these things are falsely offered in addition to Christ for the Christian's growth. Um, and, and really, we could, we could probably list them out and it would be almost too numerous to imagine. And at the bottom is the wrong assumption that the gospel is not enough to be united to Jesus, to Jesus and receive from him grace and peace. But Peter insists that we have a faith that is equal with theirs. And the implication being we have the same resources, the same resources that brought grace and peace to the apostles and enabled them to hold fast to Jesus in the face of persecution. We have the same faith that enabled all the saints of old, as, as Hebrew, Hebrews 11 reminds us, to, to conquer kingdoms, to enforce justice, to obtain promises, to stop the mouths of lions, to quench the power of fire, to escape the edge of the sword, to become strong in weakness, and to put foreign armies to flight. We have the same power, in short, see and experience God at work, and to bring grace and peace to a broken and sinful world. If we've received the gospel with faith, and we have the same access to the grace and peace that enable the saints of old to stand fast, even if they saw more from a human perspective than, than we have seen. And we have this, of course, by the righteousness of Christ. That is to say, we have this not by anything intrinsic to us or anything we've done to merit it or to deserve it, but because of what Christ has done for us. How is it that what Christ has done for us is sufficient to enable us to grow in grace and peace? Well, because he is, as Peter plainly says, our God and Savior. He is our God, and so grace and peace come from him um, and, and from the very one we were made to know and be in relationship with and to enjoy and to worship. He is perfectly able to bring us to God and enable us to enjoy the fellowship of the Trinity because he is God. 
And he is perfectly able to cleanse us from our sin. And the very thing that made us prefer other things other than God and our own wisdom and our own understanding. There is no one else to whom we must answer. So if Jesus has clothed us with his own righteousness and said to us, grace and peace, there is no one else from whom we need grace and peace. He is the final word. And if God himself says to you, grace, you can be sure that you have grace. And if God himself says to you, peace, you can be sure you have peace. And therefore, faith in Jesus is an equal standing with the faith of all the people of God. And that faith unites us to Jesus who is able and willing and promises to grow us in grace and peace. And this is the logic of Peter's opening address. It's really the logic of the gospel itself. And it cuts right against any notion that we need anything in addition to the gospel to live a complete and godly life. And unless we think, of course, that um, that's just a, a, an archaic debate that happened all those years ago. And, and false teachers, sure, they might have been roaming around the, the ancient Near East because that was just, I guess, the thing you do maybe. And, and we don't really f- face that these days. Um, we really need to think cons- seriously about all the ways in which we are tempted sometimes to assume the gospel is really not enough for our lives. Um, it happens subtly, I think, but, but it happens often enough. We, we get into ways of thinking where we think, well, if only my experiences in, in worship were of a different sort then I would really be sure that I could be growing in my Christian maturity. Or if, if only I um, was just a, a better Christian, if only I, I was more obedient, then I could really be sure that God, that God loved me. And so if, if, I, if I just really grin down and, and bear it and, and, and be more faithful and be more obedient, then God would really love me. Or, or we, we might think, if only I was under that person's preaching, then I could be really sure that I understood the gospel better than I do now, and, and, and that would be everything that I need. Um, and we get into all these ways of thinking where we, we subtly sort of substitute our own works, our own obedience, some new experience that's out there, maybe some, some vision that, that we hope to, to receive. And it cuts against the, the, the message Jesus has for us that really the gospel is sufficient for us to give us a complete and godly life. Now, that doesn't mean that we, then we don't have anything to do, of course. It means that we have a great deal to do to experience that better than we do now, to really live that out, to cultivate it. Um, but it's just the cultivation of the very thing that we've been given in the gospel, Jesus himself, being united to him, that enables us to have confidence that, that will really be, God will really be faithful through those means to, to help us to grow in godliness, to, to grow in Christian maturity, um, and, and to experience all the great things that God is for his people. So we have it through the gospel, and we should be very careful about um, cutting against that notion by any um, substitution of our own works, our own um, ideas, or something else that's out there to help us to know God better. Well, this has some pretty radical implications, too, about um, preaching, what, what's going on right now and, and week to week. Um, and and, and, and we, it was, as, as we think about that, hear what, what Timothy Ward uh, says. He says, the preacher with a Christian congregation is therefore not bringing something fundamentally new in his sermon. At heart, he is reminding them of the one thing that has been undeniably true of them ever since they first devoted themselves to the apostolic gospel, that by the work of the Spirit of God, they are not what they once were. The sermon is often the moment in the life of a hard-pressed Christian when she can say, yes, that's what's really true. That's what I really believe. That happens when the indwelling spirit opens us up to what the spirit is saying and doing through the word being preached to us. So you see that, that the implication that the gospel really is sufficient for us to have a complete and godly life really changes the way or ought to change the way we think about preaching. It's not so much that what's happening now is you're coming in here and expecting to receive some information um, that you'd never heard before, necessarily. 
Now, sometimes that may happen, and, and God is very gracious to us to help us to grow in our understanding of, of him and ourselves and the world. Um, as, we, as we have our correcting, sometimes cor- or our thinking corrected um, by, by, by his word. But oftentimes, especially as we've been walking with the Lord for many years, what preaching does is to help us rem- to, to remind us against all the information and all the false messages we hear from week to week that are out there of who God really is for us and who Jesus is and who we are as united to him, who our, 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 what our identity is in him. And that's what preaching really helps us to do. It enables us to be reminded that we are God's people and, and he is for us and, and he is faithful. And so we shouldn't be people who always think that preaching is boring or not very much good for us because we've, we've heard it all before. And you know, you're just going over ground that maybe you've, not that I think we ever, we can sometimes think this way, but not that this is ever really true for us, but sometimes we get in the way of thinking that we've heard it all before and this is just old, old, old ground that we don't really need to hear again. But the reality is, is that what preaching does is to help us to stir us to faith in Christ anew because we hear all sorts of false messages week in and week out about who we ought to be, about the kind of people that we really are. There are all sorts of false teachers in um, the church and outside of the church, too, who will tell us that we need some experience, some new doctrine, some new way of living and thinking about ourselves to really experience the complete and, and good life. And, and so preaching cuts right against that because it reminds us that we are dependent upon the Lord and that we are his people and the gospel is the way in which we live that out. Well, let's turn again to the text and see how Peter draws out some of these implications. Picking up in verse 3. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Well, we see here two things that help us to press on to a better knowledge and experience of the grace and peace we have by our union with Christ. One, we grow in grace, uh, or that is to say we grow in life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. We could say that too. We grow in grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus. And we see this is a great implication of the fact that we who have received the truth about Christ from the apostles' witness and who have the assurance, therefore, of God's favor to us because of the righteousness of Christ have every resource in him for living in a way that brings God glory and increases grace and peace in our lives. And thus, the gospel is not just the way we get started in the Christian life, but the way in which we keep on growing in the Christian life, the means by which we are enabled to complete the race set before us. And this is because Jesus is always at the center of God's plans for us, both in the way in which we are reconciled to him and in the way in which we come to him and know him better and be conformed to his image. And so Samuel Rutherford helps us to think about this. He says, Now I would to God all cold-blooded, faint-hearted soldiers of Christ would look again to Jesus and to his love. And when they look, I would have them to look again and again and fill themselves with the holding of Christ's beauty. Come further in on Christ and see a new treasure in him. Come in and look down and see angels' wonder and heaven and earth's wonder of love, sweetness, majesty, and excellency in him. And that's one of the things, one of the implications of the gospel, isn't it? Before we were Christians, before God called us and did a work in our hearts to open our eyes to the beauty of who Christ was, Jesus and the gospel and the things of God didn't seem so lovely at all. They seemed rather tyrannical, I imagine, to to most of us. Or they seemed to just be something that's out there, some way to to live your life that's maybe fine for some weak-kneed individuals, but not for me who have all the resources in myself to, to be a good person. 
But really what the Holy Spirit does is to open our eyes to not only our own weakness, but God's strength in Christ and who Jesus is for us. And if that's the way in which we come to know God and to experience his love for us and see his grace in Christ to us, it's also the way in which we continue to grow in that. To, to, to recognize that we are not the excellent people that in our sinful natures we think that we are. That we are um, the kind of people who, if we tarried till we were better, we would never come at all. That, that's us outside of Christ. But in Christ, in our union with him, we have every resource to be fully conversant with what God requires with us, uh, for us, and what, 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 the way in which we ought to live that out and cultivate it so we have a better understanding of God's love for us. So I ask you, whom do you admire? What characteristics cause your admiration? And as you're thinking about that, some of you are thinking, is that the right use of whom? It is. I looked it up. But <laughs> as you're thinking about that, you could also think, in what ways have you noticed your admiration for Christ grow through the means of grace? And that's, I mentioned before preaching, that, that's, that's one of the ways in which we, we, we start to cultivate this, this love for Jesus and, and understand him better and, and know God's will for our lives better than we do now through the means of grace. That includes preaching. And that's why I say we, we, we ought to be careful about the ways we can sometimes think about preaching as, as mainly some way in which we, we hear some new information that we get to apply to some new circumstance. But oftentimes, preaching is just the way in which we are faithful. We, we plug along on that road. As, as, as many of us are conversant with and have experienced, um, the Christian life is difficult. It's not always easy. It's, it's hard to die to self. It's hard to put um, our selfishness to death and, and be hospitable. To, to love people that we don't always just naturally affiliate with, people that we wouldn't associate with unless Jesus called us to love people, which is one of the great things about the church, that he calls us together and we don't get to decide who is sitting next to us in the pew every Sunday. But Jesus says, love them, because that's the kind of love that I have for my people. And you're to image me of that in, the, in that. And, and so as we, as we cultivate these things, we find it's not easy to do. And we need the resources. We need the power of the Spirit to help us to do it well. And, and this, is, this is where the means of grace are so vital and so important to our walk with Jesus. That Jesus doesn't just call us to follow him and then say, well, there you go. Just figure it out. But he calls us to follow him and gives us the resources in the gospel itself to do that well. And, and that's why, even as we think about our liturgy, it's so important to be thoughtful about that and how it calls us to remember the gospel itself, to remember the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and that our response to all of that it ought to be gospel-centric, and not just gospel-centric in a reductionistic way where we turn everything into, um, well, as long as you understand Jesus loves you and you know, Jesus died on the cross for you, that's it, but really gospel-centric in a way that helps us to understand we, there's implications for that for every area of life, and it begins with the, the recognition that Jesus is the center of it all and that God loves us. So we see that Jesus himself reveals God's will for our lives in many ways. We could think of a few. In his zeal for God's worship, in his compassion for the weak and the poor and the friendless. So just talking about with the threes and fours class that, uh, that last week as we studied the life of Zacchaeus and how Jesus said to Zacchaeus as he's walking down the street, Zacchaeus, come from down from there. I'm going to go to your house. Somebody who no other self-respecting Jewish person would ever be seen dead with because, you know, he'd committed the ultimate treason by being a tax collector for the Romans, and, and he was friendless, and, and Jesus had compassion on him, was a friend to him. Jesus uh, reveals God's will to our lives in his submission to the Father's will. Father, I would this, cap, this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. In his diligence to know God's word, Jesus knew God's word backwards and forwards and really corrected the severe misunderstandings of, of some of the people who pretended to know, at least, or thought that they knew God's word, and yet had missed the boat on so many occasions. 
and his complete obedience to God's commandments. He tithed the, din, the, the mill and the, the cumin, and he also knew that God's commandments required much more than that too. And his delight for doing the work of God. He, he never flagged or failed in his diligence in doing God's work. In his love for his friends, and in his love for his enemies, and in his, in his subordinating the pleasures of life to the will of God. Um, that's a key one too. Oftentimes we, we get discouraged in the Christian life because we see that it requires us sometimes maybe many times, to subordinate good things um, to better things in the pursuit of Jesus, in the pursuit of the means of grace. And, and that can be a trial sometimes because we, we are tempted to wonder whether God is really going to be faithful. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's a trivial example, but uh, the, the sink under, uh, in the kitchen in our house is all broken and, and the pipes weren't working. I was having to fix one of the pipes and it, it just wasn't working. Like I, I thought I was doing everything correctly, everything that I knew how to do, and it, and it should work. And every time I'd turn on the faucet, more water would leak out. And I was getting so frustrated. And I, I realized in, in some of my frustration that I really disbelieved that God was going to uphold the laws of physics for me. That, that if I just figured out what I was doing wrong, then you know, and I did it in the right way, that, that it would work. And, and, and part of my struggle and part of my frustration is I disbelieved that God was going to really be faithful. And that's pretty silly, but that's me. You know? and, and I think in many ways that's a lot of us. We, we disbelieve God's faithfulness to us, and we disbelieve that God's going to be um, faithful to uphold his promises. And so as, we, as we're called sometimes to subordinate good things that God has given to us to, to better things in the pursuit of a, a better uh, understanding of God and a, a better understanding of, of who he is for us and a better understanding even of ourselves, we can really struggle with that sometimes because we wonder if, if God's going to be faithful. And yet we see over and over again, he is faithful. He, he loves us. And, and that's, again, another implication of the means of grace. We, we've got to lean into these things and cultivate them so that our ability to follow him in the long, difficult road of obedience is strengthened. And the really encouraging thing, to go back to our text, the really encouraging thing about this is that the power we have from Jesus for growing in grace and peace is an exhaustless power. Uh, the same loving kindness and power to do you good that was exhibited in the gospel itself and in God's calling you to, to love him and obey him and um, assuring you of his love by his cleansing you of your sin is the same power and the same love and the same promises that will hold you fast to the very end and keep you believing to the very end. So quite against the false teaching that there is some other way to become godly other than knowing Christ, Peter shows us that it is the glory and excellence of Christ to which we have been called. So Jesus sets the standard for, for what counts as a true and godly life. The world may look in other places. They may find it in the so-called wisdom of false prophets. They may find it in extraordinary experiences or, or moving rhetoric or, or causes that cause us to come in some sense out, out of ourselves or, or in the human will. But we have been called to the glory and excellence of Christ. And in this way, we partake of the divine nature. We're, we're called to something much more than just brains on a stick or, or some amoeba that, that through thousands and thousands of years or millions of years, whatever it is, of uh, evolution have, have evolved into what we are today. We're called to something, something much, much more than that, something much greater, and that is the very nature that Jesus exhibits as, as, as fully God and fully man. And we, we participate in that by our union with him. And there cannot be a higher calling for us. And this is why Peter tells us that what has happened if we believe in Jesus is we've received the apostolic, uh, that is to say, if we believe in Jesus and we've received the apostolic uh, gospel with faith, is that we've escaped the corruption of the world because of sinful desires. So here's, here's the great evidence that the gospel is sufficient for life and godliness and that through it we will grow in grace and peace. We are no longer captive to sin. 
That doesn't mean we no longer struggle with sin, of course. Having escaped the bondage of our old nature, we can now fan into flame the nature we have by the Spirit of Christ. And we do this by looking to Him, not our own strength, not our own intentions or wisdom, but but to His promises and in reliance upon His faithfulness to us. So we never outgrow the gospel. It is our only assurance that God has really granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And by holding fast to the gospel, we will keep from falling away from the faith. And that's just the message that Peter has for his readers and for us today. That, that against the false teaching, that there's something in addition to Christ that we need, or some experience that we need to have, or something intrinsic to us, that we are called to look to Christ instead and to, to realize that in him, in the gospel, um, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And what an amazing thing that is, that we can be sitting here in 2018, um, and maybe some of us haven't really had very many experiences. Maybe we're not as world-traveled as, as we'd like to be, um, but yet we, we have the very resources that we need to live a, a complete life uh, for the glory of God. We have the very resources we need to enter into difficult seasons of life in obedience to Him and do hard things in obedience to Him, even when we're confronted with situations that just seem, in the moment, so overwhelming. Or, or, or we have the complete resources in Him to be able to confront the wickedness of our own age with a better way, even though in ourselves we might not be particularly wise or know all the things that we ought to know um, from a human perspective. We have the ability to, to love difficult people in difficult situations, even though we wouldn't naturally do that otherwise. We have the ability to, to raise up godly children, even though many times, I'm sure, it seems the hardest thing to do. We have the ability to stay faithful, even when... There are many ways in which we could be unfaithful. We have the ability to, to lean into worship, even when we might wake up some days and just think, I don't know if I'm getting out of this, all that I need to get out of this. We have the ability to, to lean into these things because we have the gospel. And we have the gospel even though we haven't seen the sorts of things that Jesus did in his earthly life, but we have it because we have the same spirit. And the same spirit is working in and through us to awaken faith and excite us in a love for Jesus. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And it helps us to lean into the means of grace too. Not only in preaching, of course, although preaching is a good example of that, but in all the ways in which God calls us to cultivate these things through, through prayer and loving one another and knowing God's word better than maybe we do now. And one of the things that we ought to think about when we think about these things, and I'll end with this, is that the means of grace aren't some sort of they're not some sort of talisman that is, that is out there that you just kind of carry around maybe on a stick and, and God promises as long as you hold them or you know, wrap them around yourselves really close, then it'll work for you as if all the power was in the means of grace themselves. But they're effective because through the Spirit, through a person, God himself, he, he uses them to excite faith in our hearts and to, and to see God better than we do and to obey him and to really walk that long, difficult road in, in faithfulness to him and, and to assure us of his love for him. So the means of grace are the very way in which God himself comes and, and, and in a real sense helps us to know him better and, and follow him diligently. So we see First uh, Peter, or Second Peter, I should say, Second Peter 1 teaches us that un, in union with Christ, believers have all things we need for life and godliness. What a wonderful promise that is and what a good truth that is and may we lean into that better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us in, in Christ. Lord, may we... Um, as your people, uh, remember that we are united to you because of what Jesus has done for us, and that our, our, our identity is in him, and not in ourselves or the things that we did or our good plans or the things we intended to do or, or not, but in, in Christ. 
And Lord, may that help us to have a sure conviction that the gospel is really provided to us so that we may know you and be obedient to you. And may we live that out in faithfulness to you for the glory of Christ and for um, the benefit of our neighbors so that they may too come to know you and, and love you and that your family may get bigger. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.